0: Hello? and welcome to the next segment in our podcast from Wyoming to Everest. I'm Diane McGinley, Joe's wife, and I'm here with Dr. Joseph McGinley in the M building in downtown Casper, Wyoming. We're here talking about his rapid ascent at Everest. And today's focus, we're going to really kind of dive into what specifically you're doing to train for altitude. You're kind of doing this crazy thing. First of all, why is altitude training super important for your attempt for is a traditional attempt,
1: and we'll sort of start there. It's great to discuss this here today. The altitude training really is key. This climb on Everest is unique. We're doing a rapid ascent in ten days. hasn't been done before for you know an amateur such as myself. Uh, Sherpas obviously do it uh, frequently, but you know what we're trying to do is, is new and unique. And, and as part of that, training is key to success, or at least potential success on the mountain. That starts with altitude training. So you know, typically, if someone's going to climb Everest, you need to be there at least. 30 to 45 days prior to your attempted climb, just to get acclimated to the altitude base camp alone is at 17,000 feet. So what we're going to be doing is flying in to Nepal and then taking a helicopter right to base camp. So my journey starts at 17,000 feet, whereas most people have been training for over a month to get to that point. To be successful or even safe with that, those type of conditions, we need to train at altitude ahead of time. And there's some new technologies out there. They've been out there for a few years now. I've used them on prior mountains, but the science and and information behind them is still uh, up and coming, still new. Basically, the training at altitude involves an altitude tent. So at night, I sleep in a tent and I've slowly acclimated over several months, uh, decreasing the oxygen content. What do you mean
0: you sleep in a tent? What does that look
1: like? (laughs) Well, it looks interesting. (laughs) It's a tent that goes over the bed. So I'm uh, literally, I zip up the tent when I go in there and it seals everything off. So I'm in a sealed tent uh, chamber overnight. And then there's a generator that's connected to it. That'll pump in air at a low oxygen content. So I can accurately and, and realistically simulate altitude slowly over time. So I've been doing that since November 1st and now, you know, I'm getting up to, you know, currently sleeping at that 17, 18,000 foot level, which is where we'll be arriving at base camp.
0: For those of you who might not know out there, Casper is actually at altitude, right? We're, we've got a good starting point of 5150 yeah. here in Casper, Wyoming. So the. First month in the tent, what were your settings?
1: We have the benefit of being at altitude already. So that's a great head start on the altitude training. When I started in the tent, I probably started at about 10 or 11,000 feet. Just to get used to sleeping in there, getting used to the air blowing in the tent. And then I've slowly ramped that up over the last, you know, four or five months to where I'm at right now, which is about almost 18,000 feet in the tent
0: what happens every single time i'm asking this question because i know the answer what happens every single time you increase the tent
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i have a miserable night of sleep every time i do that because you know again during the day i'm back at 5000 feet essentially so you know that does put quite a bit of strain on your body with the acclimatization so when you go in the tent and you increase it usually you have a rough night of sleeping i mean you're waking up every two three hours sometimes you know you'll go apneic, where you stop breathing and that wakes you up you're gasping for air and waking up there's another portion of physiology, it's called Cheney-Stokes respirations, where you'll start breathing really fast and then stop breathing and then wake up. <laughs> so it is fairly miserable when you increase those altitude increments uh, once you start getting up there fairly high.
0: And then just takes you like a second night and you're stabilized and you stay at that height for yeah. a certain period. That's that. correct.
1: Usually the first night's miserable, second night's not so bad, and by the third night I'm, I'm pretty good so it
0: sounds like a pretty crazy thing to do. <laughs> a lot of people ask me this question, are you also in the tent? And the really quick and easy answer to that is no, because I'm not <laughs> crazy and I would not do such a thing. So you've got this progression of this tent sleeping in altitude, and that's yeah. definitely something. What's the benefit of doing this tent thing? What's what's the physiology thing?
1: Yeah, you're acclimating to altitude. So essentially you're increasing the, the blood content, the hemoglobin content in your blood. So my hematocrit, my hemoglobin content of blood is exceptionally high at this point. I started taking iron supplements to help facilitate that along the way so yeah that that's essentially the physiology uh, behind it and that means that you know your blood can carry more oxygen and you can function at a lower oxygen content uh, once you train
0: so in addition to this tent sleeping thing you're doing another kind of key component to your altitude training and that is working out with a mask (laughs) so this is a new level of crazy I wish we may be able to post some pictures on the website of what this looks like for you because it's a pretty crazy process tell us about that
1: yeah the mask I don't like so much. Um, you know, I, I, I get on the treadmill and I put a mask on my face and it's blowing in air at a low oxygen content. Since I'm already sleeping at 17, 18, I started with that one at 20,000 feet, and now I'm already up to about 25,000 feet, but I have to be exceptionally careful at that level. Any change whatsoever in the intensity of the workout, even if it's a half percent increment of the incline on the treadmill, I'll get very dizzy very quickly, almost to the point of passing out. So I really don't look forward to those workouts, but it's definitely helping because my altitude level is going up. And like I said, I'm able to do it at 25,000 feet. You know, at one point uh, when I was at 23, 24, I wanted to see uh, what running would be like (laughs) with that on. That was not a good idea, but I was able to run for about a a solid minute (laughs) at uh, 23,000 feet before I I had to grab onto the handrails because I was rather dizzy at that point. So
0: even as fit as you are, you can't even run for even a minute
1: at that altitude. I think that's you know, really
0: telling of... That, that mask is torture. Yeah. So <laughs> tell me about what the actual contraption of the mask, you say a mask, but what's really happening?
1: Yeah, it's a face mask connected to a tube that's connected to a generator, and the generator forces air into the mask, and that air has a low oxygen content. So you can you can dial it up to whatever level you want. That machine technically will go up to 29,000 feet. So you could simulate the summit of Everest uh, with that particular machine. I'm 25 and struggling, so I don't know how much more I can really push that uh, without passing out and falling off that treadmill. Yeah, let's not
0: do that, okay? (laughs) I definitely not do that. Mm -hmm. How long each evening do you work out with this mask, like how, what does that look like over the last six
1: months? Yeah, it depends if I'm incrementing or not. If I'm incrementing, I can really only tolerate it for about 30 minutes or so, and then the next day I try to bump that up to 45 minutes and then the following day an hour. Uh, So it's sort of like the sleeping at night, it takes a couple days to get used to those increments in altitude. So yeah. I'll typically start at a very slow pace, I'm talking like two miles an hour walking at a 1% incline, so very minimal. And even with that, it's a struggle, so 30 minutes is about all you can do. And then I try to bump that up by 15 minutes each time, so right now I'm doing about an hour at 25,000 feet.
0: So as you're doing this, are you watching your oxygen levels? How how are you monitoring that?
1: Uh, I do, so I have a a pulse ox that goes on my finger so I can watch and see what my uh, oxygenation is and how well I'm adapting to it. And yeah, when you increment it, it, it's low. So, you know, I I could technically be in my 50s and 60s as far as uh, oxygen content in my blood, which in a normal person that wasn't training, if you were put exactly in that level, you would pass out instantaneously. In the tent at night, as I acclimate, um, it'll typically you'll see it creeping up into the 80s. And then right now, I'm probably at about 90. Uh, 90% oxygen content uh, at 18,000 feet. So I'm fairly well acclimated there, but on the treadmill, yeah, I I can drop that oxygen very quickly just by increasing the intensity slightly. So it is fascinating to sort of mess around with that, but yeah, you still have to be careful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: no, no kidding. Yeah, and actually really important that you're monitoring those things as you go along for, you know, safety. And I mean, you joke about falling off the treadmill, but certainly you wouldn't wanna get an injury or something like that. So really being able to closely monitor your oxygen is Big part of
1: you know what you do. Well, and just knowing how you're going to respond to the stress of the altitude—that's that's another reason I'm doing it. I'm not doing it just to mess around and see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, part sure. of it is training, and you know I want to know if I if I have to pick up the pace, what's that going to feel like, and how how hard can I pick up the pace before you know I start getting those detriments in the oxygen content. So there's a reason behind that as well. It is interesting, but there is an actual purpose to it.
0: So as you're sleeping at night, and as you're doing these workouts in the evenings at altitude, Altitude, you are burning calories like nobody's business so you're kind of really burning through it so how are you countering the hard work that your body's doing all night long
1: yeah you have weird cravings so you know the biggest one now is like chocolate milk with whipped cream <laughs> so I can, yeah. I'm drinking like a gallon of chocolate milk a week at this point but it's you get these interesting cravings uh, protein is a big one I eat a lot of protein for sure with the muscle breakdown and building yeah essentially it's hard to maintain my weight so I've been trying to watch my weight every day to make sure I'm not losing too much weight at this this point so countering that with just eating pretty much all day long is how you have to do it and you want to make sure that you're getting protein and what you need in your body to help rebuild as you're stressing the body with these workouts.
0: I also know that you have like a salad craving too so there's definitely some vitamins there that your body is seeking out to kind of replenish and um, doing that.
1: So. Yeah recently salads and fruits have come in on those cravings. I, I've been eating you know two or three bananas and two or three oranges every day and then salad on top of that. Yeah uh, that's a new one usually I don't get those type of cravings. Yeah. You're yeah, uh, usually uh, a sugar it. guy. Sugar, yes. Sugar <laughs> is, a, is everybody a in our house. office knows that Joe
0: <laughs> like sugar. So there's a, an, another interesting side effect to your altitude training that I think people would be interested to learn about. Talk about the dreams.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's part of that frustrating thing when you're bumping up that altitude. You know what wakes you? Yeah, I can tell when I'm going to wake up. You, you get it's really weird. You get stuck in a repetitive loop in your dreams. And it's hmm. exceptionally frustrating. So you're you're sleeping and you're frustrated and you know it's the same thing happening again and again. And then you know you're gonna wake up and it's gonna be like one in the morning and you're gonna have a hard time falling back to sleep. So that whole thing just makes the whole process miserable. Yeah. And you know it's coming. It's really weird. I'm sound asleep and I know it's coming.
0: Yeah. Um, Why but... do you think it's caught? what's causing the just I don't know, lack of oxygen? Yeah, lack of oxygen. That's <laughs> exactly, right. Right? That's, that's oh my exactly God. right. So uh
1: yeah. And again, that goes away as I get used to the altitude. But it's part of that whole miserable process when you first increase that altitude
0: so you are doing all of these things but you're showing up at, at base camp kind of day one at that 17,000 feet talk to me about your team they're also having to prepare
1: well uh, so it's myself uh, one guide uh, he's uh, doing a similar workout to what I'm doing and then we have two Sherpas who probably just laugh at us with our training because they're just ready to go so there will be four of us uh, there on the mountain uh, ready to go and we land so again we're, we're helicoptering in the 17,000 so
0: but they've picked specific Sherpas because they want you to be successful. Why would the folks at at Everest want this to be a successful thing?
1: Yeah, the Climbing Association really is interested to see how this climb goes. Uh, This is the first time with a professional guy taking a client on a rapid ascent, you know, attempting it in 10 days. So they did assign us two high-altitude Sherpas, the two experienced Sherpas that have summited Everest uh, multiple times before. They're interested to see how quickly a commercial team can really get up and down that mountain. So, you know, right now a big problem on Everest is the crowding, the number of people there, the trash, the the camps, everything else. If you can shorten that time period and get people safely up and down that mountain, uh, that's really a benefit to everyone
0: involved. I think it probably opens it up to more people being able to ultimately do the climb because not a lot of people can take three months off of work.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the reason (laughs) I'm doing the rapid ascent is I can't take that much time off of work. So the flip side, that is training ahead of time and making sure I'm ready to go. Again, there, there's only a narrow window of when you can actually climb Everest uh, weather-wise. So there's still a limit of the number of climbers you can get on that mountain. If you can get them on and off the mountain faster in a shorter period of time, that's safer for everyone.
0: Let's talk statistics a little bit. I know this is kind of side note to the altitude training but even with all of this preparation over the last really a year ramping up into this climb you still statistically are more likely to not summit than to actually summit yeah
1: this is new you know we don't know how this altitude training really is gonna work out when we're on the mountain now I've done it on the past two mountains including Denali this past June and and we hit the summit of Denali in just five days and I felt fine no headaches no uh, adverse effects from altitude I felt strong so at least from that part of it, I think it's going to work well. But Everest, it's a different beast. Um, you know, we're heading up to 29,000 feet, we're gonna have oxygen, it's a lot more technical in, in some of the sections heading up to it. So we we don't know. I mean, that's going to be the unknown of this climb. If you take a traditional uh, climbing team, you know, that's about what 50-60% chance of success, that's about it. With this type of adventure, it's going to be that percentage has to be lower. We'll find out and hopefully we'll talk about this in a few months. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> I hope we get to say that your first attempt was successful this whole attempt. Fascinating, thanks for so much. This is answering a lot of questions I know I get from a lot of people out and about in town asking about how it is you're preparing to do this in such a short period of time. And next time we're gonna delve into what your actual training looks like because altitude training is just a small piece of what it is that uh, you're doing overall. Uh, So that will be what's in our next episode. And and after that, we're gonna talk gear because our house is full of gear.
1: (laughs) That's the fun part is purchasing the gear. Yeah, 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 we got a
0: lot of new things uh, coming in to the house. I feel like we're definitely on a first name basis with our UPS guy at this point, so uh, that'll be interesting to talk about that. Thanks for spending some time today. I'm Diane McGinley You're with Dr. Joseph McGinley, and we're chatting from Wyoming to Everest. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you.